welcome everyone to the Reflex Blues Show. I'm your host, Donovan Beery, recording live from the Meet the Pros, AAF Nebraska's annual big student event. We've, we've done this before. And this year they brought in a co-headliner, a double back-to-back headliners. I, I don't know how, how, how you're billing yourself here. Double header. Double header. That's right. The we'll double get, header. We'll get to the double header. And, and it, is, it is Desmond Lavelle and Jennifer Martindale yes. from Chicago. From yes. Chicago. I'm so happy to be here. We flew in this morning, very early. I heard, and I and I was telling, and I was talking to someone who's running this event. I said, "You have a lot of faith in the airline to allow <laughs> both of your main speakers to sh- to land at what ten in the morning, mm-hmm. and then and then pick you up from the airport." I see your bags are still in, in the corner of this the hospitality room that we're in. Yeah. Thankfully. Omaha to Chicago is one of the direct flights we have. That's right. So easy to get here from Chicago. So that was great. Yeah, an hour flight and uh, yeah, no incidences. Um, We would have flown in uh, last night, but you know, we have an eight-year-old daughter who had an event at her school. So we had to be there for that. You know, this morning was the only option and uh, you know, it's great that it worked out because this has been so much fun. Well, what's, what's, what's the school event? I've got a, I've got a ten year old daughter, so I'm just wondering what what this is, was a like fundraiser a fundraiser for like um, their French students who are trying to raise money to go to France the eighth grade class right oh seventh eighth graders yeah yep. yeah so they serve you know it took place like in the um, in the cafeteria not the cafeteria the gymnasium and they set up like folding tables and they tried to mimic a french restaurant so all the students were like playing the role of waiter and they served coca van and chocolate mousse and i mean you know it was okay like i wouldn't recommend going to that school for coca van but um you know it was for a good cause so the, well they're 8 years old you said and uh-huh. and they're and they're running their own french restaurant so mm-hmm. So I, I mean, you got to take a little bit of that into into account, right? Yeah, or, that's no, right. Yeah. Just students, you know, trying to get to trying to get to Paris. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, how much about France do they know in the eighth? By the by, the time they're eight years old. They know a free. I mean, they did some skits afterwards, so they know some French pop songs. Yep. What else? They know about the French going far in the World Cup. That's right. Yeah. And they know about croissants. You know, about croissants, and they could probably, if if they had to, they could probably order a sandwich at a restaurant in French. Oh. Yeah. 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 But beyond that, I, I don't feel know. like the Omaha education is lacking. I don't know what you guys are doing <laughs> up in Chicago, but we are not as worldly here. <laughs> well, oh, I don't know about that. I've had some great French food in Omaha, actually. Well, we don't take the eight-year-olds there. <laughs> <laughs> well, these kids, I mean... You know, like I feel like there's Spanish is 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 uh, is a track that you know makes a lot more sense than 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 French. But when we lived in New Orleans, our daughter got her start in French language because that's what they start kids on in New Orleans. Um, you know, so it's very common to for kids in the first grade to start you know taking French class, and then it's still it's still fairly widely spoken though spoken in that region outside the city yeah yeah and you know sort of like would you say like the rural parts but everybody has that sort of like you know kind of base knowledge of french language there's a very deep connection between the city of new orleans and the country of france going back to when it was a colony but also that just their culture is still very much permeated there so the language i mean the new orleans flag has fleur-de-lis on it 
and is the same colors as the French flag almost. So yeah, it's very, very, I feel very strong connection to that country. To France. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. And you know, it's just so, it's such an old city, New Orleans. And there's a, there's a bar called the Napoleon House, you know, and you'd think, oh, well, it's just called the Napoleon House. It, because, because New Orleans is so old, there's actually a significance to that story in that when Napoleon was exiled from France the second time, he was, they built this, this, this big building for him, this manor. Um, that he was supposed to be, you know, live in exile in, in New Orleans. But he never showed up. <laughs> he ended up going to the South Pacific in his exile instead, dying there eventually, I believe. But that's how old New Orleans is. Like, they built a house for Napoleon to live in exile. Yeah, nothing in Omaha is, is, is necessarily that old. Yeah. What's the oldest building in Omaha? What do we think it is? Uh, it's probably the arch that's downtown that, that used to be part of a bank that's mm-hmm. now just, that's the only thing that's left is the arch. That's what I'm thinking, mm-hmm. but there's probably something older. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We like we like to destroy our landmarks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I believe I believe the Jobbers Canyon, which, which would have doubled the size of the old market if it was still around in the 80s, ConAgra had it torn down. It was like four or five blocks. It is, it is to this day, I believe, the largest demolition of a historical site in America. Wow. So, in the name of progress. Well, ConAgra left like two years right. ago to move to Chicago because they wanted to be in an old building. <gasps> the oh irony is oh thick. Yeah, the city Oof. was not, you know, pleased. Yeah, Oof. but now, so Omaha is left with a um, office park and a big fountain uh, where Jobbers Canyon used to be. Yeah, they're, they're working on plans, allegedly. Good. 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 I hope the city redevelops that into something yeah. that pleases the community. Yeah, but we don't we don't like to keep our monuments around that long. You know, thirty years start tearing things down. That's <laughs> that seems to be sadly part of our history. Yeah. Well, in fact, right here, this was if, if this whole area we're in, we're in, we're in the uh, we're in the Scott Center again, mm-hmm. and this area was actually one of the things that was okay to be torn down. But if you want to know why, when you look around here, it's all new development, but you're in the dead middle of the city, this used to be a horse track. Oh. oh. This was, and it was called Exarban because that's Nebraska spelled backwards. Because it was a horse we're, track. We're clever, yes. You're, I'm not sure. You might actually be like sitting like right where the track was right now. I don't really remember the exact, like I'd have to overlay a map. But so this entire exarban area where they put you in, you're like, oh, this is cute. But it's all, and you're like, why does it feel so new? Mm-hmm. Because this building, this was built around when my brother went to college. So around, so this building's just over 20 years and is, and was the only thing here. And everything else is newer than right. that. Mm-hmm. Right, because they built all the shopping and restaurants and things. Yeah. I think there's a hotel over here. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's why we have a new development. Because horse tracks turns out, take up a lot. A lot of land. And you know what? Like, people gamble. And, like, we all know that leads to other things. Well, they built casinos across the river in Iowa. Iowa. And then the horse track here no longer was needed. Well, Uh, we just decommit We, Chicagoland, decommissioned their horse track in Arlington Heights a few years ago. And now that's where the Chicago Bears might be moving their stadium is to where the horse track used to be. Oh, about wow. twenty miles outside the city. Yeah. How's Chicago feeling about the the team moving? Because they're they're I, kind of they're kind of right in the middle. 
Yeah. The city. I mean, I'm hearing mixed signals. Like, I have some friends who feel very strongly the, the Bears, they play at Soldier Field. Like, that is where they're supposed to play. They're Chicago's team. They should be in Chicago. However, my friends who actually go to Bears games have said to me, when was the last time you were at a Bears game? It is so hard to get in and out of Soldier Field. The layout of the building is terrible. It's not very fan-friendly. I hope they move. So it seems to be very split. It doesn't look like a historic field anymore either. Not parts of it, no. Mm-mm. Just the colonnade is still there. The original, like, uh, massive, like, stone columns and walkway. But everything else was revamped anyway, so. Yeah, with the big spaceship. Yeah, and, and, it's, spaceship. and it's also um, one of the smallest NFL venues in, in this country right now, too. So if they move, they can make it a lot bigger. That's exciting. Yeah, so horse tracks all around. There you go. I I, I grew up in Omaha. So um, I've been to Exarvin before, back when it was a horse track. I was young, you know, when it was a horse track. But I remember coming to Exarvin to see a WWF event. So I saw the Iron Sheik fight Rowdy Rowdy Piper. Oh my! Earlier. Like that's and a good one. Uh, yeah, that's think, yeah. If you want to go, if you want to say you went to an event, that's a real one. Randy Macho Man Savage, you know, like that whole crew, like they came through Omaha, and I'm, I, yeah, I think it was here. I remember, like, you know, people were just throwing cups of beer, and I, I was getting, I was getting really. My dad took me, you know, and we were drenched in beer because <laughs> people were so excited. You know, well, I mean, you got Rowdy Rowdy Piper and the Iron Sheik. They're going to yeah. rile you up. Yeah. That was yeah. their whole thing. Yeah. So, so yeah, you, well, welcome basically to the exact same spot. Yeah. Yeah. You know. It's great. And it's, um, you know, just as thrilling today as it was 35 years ago. Well, I got, I got to give credit for AAF Nebraska and for the students for that. So, I mean, <laughs> they, they brought it. They're very rowdy in there. Um, and we're going to be right back with uh, Jen and Desmond. So I have to ask, we are at a student event, Meet the Pros. Uh-huh. What is the thing you want students to take from the presentations? Uh-huh. We, we, can, we can start with either of you. I think it would be growth. Have that growth mindset to, to put themselves in position to uh, grow their skill sets, grow their marketability as a, um, you know, as a candidate for future jobs or at their current role. And um, you know, make sure that they don't, they don't become complacent in what they're doing so having that growth mindset and um, learning new things all the time is probably the most important thing for the trajectory of a career in your presentation you played it with tarot cards yeah. you related you related the entire profession to i guess i guess a game of, of a chance of the draw yeah yeah well there, i mean that that has a lot to do with it you know and jen talked a little bit about you know how she got the uh, saints and pelicans job uh, right place, right time. Um, how I got my job, you know, my first job out of college, like it just so happened that there was, you know, one of my instructors was um, Leo Burnett alum. And, uh, you know, he he liked, you know, sort of my 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 talent, my skill set. And he put me in touch with the people to, you know, at Leo Burnett to to get my first job, you know. So I think it's not it's not I think a lot of this is, you know, hard work, talent, Chance does play a role in, you know, a person's, um, you know, career path. And, and a lot of that chance, I think you have to kind of make it like, like showing up at events like this kind of gives you more chances, gives you more draws. More chances, more draws, more connections, um, more perspective, all those things. And, and now right now you're, you said now, now you're, now you're on the freelance, now you're on the freelance path. So you, yeah. you started, you started the agency and then you've, you've moved through and. 
How's, how's, um, how have you enjoyed the change? It's good. It's stressful at times, um, you know, and uh, in my last, you know, role, um, you know, I was, I was in charge, um, you know, I was hiring freelancers and now I am one of those freelancers. I am, you know, sort of like the, you know, um, hired gun. Yeah. Right away. How soon do you need it? What do you need? You know, I'm here, I'm here for you. I'm here to support you. So like, you know, I'm that person now. So like kind of like shifting that shifting gears in that way, um, is, uh, is something that has taken a little getting used to. However, I do understand, um, you know, sort of what it feels like on the hiring side, you know, so if there's a chief creative officer or an executive creative director that I'm working for, I get like what they're trying to do, I think, you know, I think it helps me in my sort of like role of servitude. Sure. No, I think, I think, I think there's, there's something about, you know, you mentioned the different career paths and the different, the different things that are in this field. And I think there's something about even spending a, even if you spend like a month in one of them, mm-hmm. just the perspective you get when you all of a sudden end up in another is, is tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. So it's fun. I like it. And Jen, what do you want, what do you want people to talk to? to take from your presentation for the students? I think I was trying to demystify advertising a little bit because I think, I I believe firmly, and I mentioned this in my talk today, that advertising is mostly a job best learned in a hands-on way versus being taught. Like, of course, these teachers are wonderful and they're, they're giving a lot of valuable instruction, but I think it's so important to understand that Advertising is so fluid and it's so dynamic that you have to learn the job while you're doing it a lot of the time. And part of demystifying it also um, goes back to when I was talking about building brand fans. It's not as simple as just creating an ad and putting it out there and hoping that it attracts the people that you want it to attract. It's really thinking about what am I going to do to make people fall in love with this brand that I work for? And thinking beyond advertising and thinking about how the brand walks and talks in the world. I think that that's an important thing I wanted people to take away. We should mention you're, 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 you're with the Chicago Cubs, right? Yes. So, I mean, you got a, you got a, an easy path. People are already in love with your client, aren't they? Or is that, or are they not? Um, I would say yes and. Um, I'll have two qualifiers to that. Yes, we are lucky to have a very loyal global fan base. That said, some of our fans, when the team is not as successful on the field as they would like them to be, they start to fall out of love a little bit, right? So back to that love I mentioned. That's fair. The love changes over time. Okay. And so how do you keep the spark alive with people who you've been in a relationship with as a brand for many, many years? So that's one thing. And then the second thing is for the health of the brand, you need to always be bringing new people into it, right? It's the circle of life. Eventually, we are going to need new fans to fill the roles of fans who will not live eternally. And so we're always trying to win over new people as well. And so, yes, we have a thriving fan base, but yes, that relationship with those fans changes over time. And yes, we always want new fans in the tent as well. When, when you're selling, I guess, a, a sport team mm-hmm. as compared to a product or something, mm-hmm. do you think longer term? Because you're not like, hey, I just need someone to buy this product or do this thing. Mm-hmm. You're thinking, I want, I'm looking to replace a fan mm-hmm. for 20 years? That's or- a really good question. I would say it's a little bit of both. 
most definitely a lot of the work that I'm doing is long range planning, like thinking about three, five, 10 years from now, what do we need to be doing right now to future proof the brand for 10 years from now? What sorts of initiatives do we need to be starting on to improve what we're doing or be more successful? However, we're also a working sports venue that has thousands of seats in it that we need to fill for 82 games a year. And so it's an interesting combination of, yes, long-term planning, but also that I have seven games coming up in the next 10 days and I want every seat full. What am I going to do immediately to make sure that that happens? Yeah, because, I mean, you hear about people running events, but usually it's not like we have seven events in 10 days, mm-hmm. which is which is literally what, what you're discussing here. Mm-hmm. And how many seats are we talking? Like, I mean, is it, was the seat around 20,000? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's close to twenty. Yeah. yeah. So that, and I'm assuming there's there's stretches of it where you're like, oh, these, these games aren't optimally placed for, for you know, yeah. nights out or whatnot. Yeah, I mean, there's certain rhythms you learn where weekend games sell themselves for a lot of the time, a lot of the time because we're lucky to be a tourist destination in addition to somewhere where our hardcore fans come. But if you're playing a mediocre team on a Tuesday, you know, in April... When the weather is spotty in Chicago, like sure. that game's going to need a lot of support and care to get the fans to buy the tickets. And then on top of that, to get those fans with tickets to use them and actually show up. And I'm assuming like the last 10 games or so of a season that doesn't go as well as planned. Absolutely. You got it. Yeah. No, I'm... <laughs> That's it. It's, okay. That's part of the cadence of it for sure. So as, the, as you get past the all-star break... And you see who's breaking away and is going to actually make it into the postseason. And then you see who's not. And if you're one of those teams who's not, you know, the fans aren't always quite as motivated to show up for that last pitch of the season. So, And I understand the fans' perspective on that mm-hmm. one sometimes. So, And I can't control the on no, product, No, right? that's what I mean. Like, yeah. And so what we say in the marketing department of the Cubs is, we can't worry about the things we can't control. We worry about what we can control. I can control what the fan experiences when they come to Wrigley Field, how they're treated, what they see, what they hear, how they're entertained. I can control you know, the level of service that we give them. I can control lots of things, but I can't control what happens on the field. So, And sometimes the players can't either. I That's mean, it's, right. Isn't, isn't baseball like an unpredictable thing? Ball bounces. That's right. Throws off. So. Yep. How did, how did now now you kind of mentioned you got into this by by starting by taking the job when you guys were in New Orleans with the it was the Saints and the Pelicans, which is the same job it sounds like you just run both both teams for, for at that time or yes yes I mean essentially doing the same job for two teams I would say there's a lot of I learned a lot of nuances between an NFL team and an NBA team and yeah. but it was because the, the owner things, was the same but the right? owner's the same and so where they could find you know some efficiencies within the organization was in more leadership positions to have people kind of overseeing you know both teams okay so. And before that, you 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 said you are not a sports person, which is which is why it's like how do how do you go about taking a job that is mm-hmm. may not necessarily be the one you would pursue? Well, I would say to Desmond's point about a growth mindset, like my decisions in my career wouldn't make sense to people if they probably saw it all laid out together. It's been a lot of interesting choices, but not necessarily linear. 
And that's because when I'm looking to take a position, I often look at it and say, can I see the impact I'll be able to have on this organization? Do I see a legacy that I can leave at this organization someday? And when I was interviewing with the Saints and Pelicans, even though I'd never worked in sports, and even though they were looking for outside experience, I really wanted to understand the state of the business, the state of the brands, and say, is this somewhere I feel like I could make a real difference or not? And if I didn't feel like I could have, I wouldn't have taken the job. And I'm also really lucky that I have a husband who's very well-versed in sports. His sports IQ is much higher than mine. And so he, um, I think, has done a great job of doing some behind-the-scenes kind of I guess I'd call it cramming with me to help make sure I understand the particulars of the different sports in a way that was, I did inherently. Was much higher than yours. I mean, she says, you know, oh, I'm not a sports person. She wasn't a sports person, but now she is. Um, you know, like she will, like I'll catch her listening to baseball podcasts or like, you know, if I float a question like, is 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 this weekend like the, the last weekend of the regular season or the wildcard weekend? She knows the answer. You know, so it's like it's really it's really fun to watch, you know, her become, you know, this sports person. One of the things I've enjoyed the most about, you know, being in design is that you get to work with all these different clients and you get to learn, Uh you know, because you're like, client calls you up and you're like, sure, we can work on that. And then you start being like, oh, I guess I got to study and learn this. So I assume it would make sense that you probably now know more about baseball than anyone else in this whole conference. Maybe. And I would say between Des and I, we've worked in so many different business verticals over our careers that we probably know a little bit about every industry at this point. And I think that's one of the amazing things about working on the agency side is, to your point as a designer, you get exposed to so many different clients that over time, like, you've just worked in a lot of different industries and verticals. And so, like, we know a lot of random things about random industries by virtue of the fact that we've just touched a lot of them over the course of our careers, you know? Yeah, I know, like, more than I ever thought I would know about direct contact direct-to-consumer car insurance or, <laughs> or men's khakis, you know. And or like or the cattle industry. The cattle industry, you know, after working on beef, it's what's for dinner, you know. Like, I mean, I did, there's so many, um, you know, kind of, yeah, you get touch so many pieces of business and so many industries, verticals that, you know, you get this sort of, like, weird compendium of knowledge, you know, that isn't useful for anything but your job. How much khaki knowledge do you learn working for Dockers, um, like how much khaki knowledge is there? Um, do you know? Okay, so there's a term called hand. Okay, you know, and it's like, oh, these pants have good hand. Oh, like even the merchandisers use that phrase. It's like, what's hand? It's like, it's the hand. It's like you grab the pants, and like that's the feel of the pants. It's like a good, like it's like they, they feel good. They feel sturdy. They've got good hand, and the inside of your pockets. You know what those are called? No, pocket bags. Pocket bags. Yeah. Yeah, so there's all kinds of interesting things to learn about. How, how come pants. commercials don't use the word pocket bags all the time? I think they should. I love a good deep pocket bag or a secret pocket bag or a pocket bag with a zipper. Is like, the fifth pocket bag also, is that a different term? Every that's, now and then you get the, yeah, that's where, you, that's where you keep your drugs. Okay, that's the drug bag. Yeah. And I hate pocket bags. Like, I think, I wish all my pants came with fake pockets, no park pocket bags, because I don't like any extra, like, mass or like bulk on my pants. I love, I love pockets. I know. I love pockets on the on the legs, on the hips, and then you know it's just like a pockets everywhere. You're going into a full cargo pant here. I do have some cargos. <laughs> that's does. that's good. That's good. All right. 
Well, we're going to be right back with Jen and Desmond. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I I should ask, where where do people Jen, where do you send people to to see your work or to learn more about it, or do you just tell them to just call the you know Chicago Cub ticket mm -hmm. line, or or, mm -hmm. or do you do you have like a portfolio that people go look at, or no, I don't have a portfolio. I just have a LinkedIn page. Okay. Yeah, that's it. So or or just or just show up at the game day and look for the the sweet seats. I hear I hear you got good tickets. <laughs> look for Des in the sweet seats. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, he's he's stealing all. You're taking all the tickets. You don't even go to the games. I like I, it. I do go to some of them, but he goes, gets to go to far more than She's I do. She's working, you know, and uh, you I'm, didn't I'm ask not. for the office that oversees the field. Oh, that's where she was in uh, the Superdome. You know, she was working the you know because she oversees the game experience. So. Um, you know, our daughter and I would go to the games, um, you know, in these incredible seats. And then, you know, we would look up to the glass box. And that's where, that's where mommy was. That's where mommy was with her headset, you know, like overseeing, like, you know, it's like, play this song or, you know, do the thing. Yeah, but know. that's a Sunday. I'm like, the Cubs is great because you mm -hmm. could just sit there like during the day and just tune out your job and just watch the game. It is really lovely that going to Cubs games is part of my job. Like, if there is a day game, which Chicago has more day games than any other team, it is really lovely that I'm like, well, I'm just going to walk across the street to the ballpark for the 1 o'clock game and be home for dinner. You know? Sure. Yeah, it's really great. Okay. Yeah. You, you, work, you work in New Orleans and they make you come in on a Sunday. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, we just got used to it. I mean, we have this thing called crossover season in New Orleans, which is when NBA and NFL are both playing. Yeah, no, to so be I'd fair, have, there's like, four games a week. To be fair, there's not a lot of. Pro football games. True. But they so, are yeah. under a higher level yeah. of scrutiny because there's only, you know, right. nine. But I mean, they're not saying like every Sunday of the no. year you have to be here. It no. Would be, yeah. There'd be no. nine of them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And Desmond, where do they go to, where do they go to find out more about you? I have, I do have an online portfolio, you know, as an advertising creative. I, that's something I have to have. So it is DesmondLavelle.com. Um, D-E-S-M-O-N-D-L-A-V-E-L-L-E.com. And uh, that's where, you know, you can see sort of like a collection of selected work I've done over, um, you know, the course of my career or recent work and stuff like that. And then just, you know, other creative projects. And, and like, and you, and you showed one of your, one of the creative projects you're working on is you, you just uh, self-published your own book? Yes. Yeah. So that's a... Um, it's a, it's a novel, you know, it's like the first time I've taken a crack at like, you know, writing a novel. Um, and, uh, you know, it was just something, a story that I wanted to get out into the world. So yeah, it's available on Amazon, like everything, you know, so if you're buying garbage bags or, you know, thumbtacks or, you, you know, I mean, you could buy my book too. Oh yeah. Just throw it right in the car. in like two days. Yeah. 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 You gotta have the prime. Yep. Gotta have the prime. prime. And, and what's the book about? The book. Okay. So. There was a time when Jen and I were sort of like childless. So we could have these sort of like flights of fancy, like what if we like bought, a, you know, a French, like a, like a small little shack in a rural French town. So we started looking at like real estate, um, you know, in France. Not seriously. We weren't really going to do it. But, you know, we just sure. wanted to see like what is that kind of, what does that cost? So in doing so, I noticed something really interesting about French real estate in that they have a manner in buying a house called un viagé. Basically what it is, um, is um, you can buy a house from an elderly person, oftentimes, you know, sort of a widow, 
And you know, this is a person who may not be able to afford the upkeep on their house any longer, okay. uh, but they still want to live out their years in their house. So you can buy the house at a discount and, and um, pay this person you know, sort of like a stipend every month, um, an annuity, and, um, you know, until they die. And then you get possession of the house. Um, so that's what the story is about. It's about sort of like an affected um, San Francisco couple um, you know, who made a little bit of money in uh, technology and advertising, and they, they bought a house on Viaget from in a little town in the, in the, in the Languedoc region. And they, um, and they decided that the little old lady that lives there wasn't dying fast enough. So they fly to France yeah, to mean, try to like hurry up the process. Do you do, you, do, you do it, when you buy a house like this? Do you get mm-hmm. like a reverse physical? Like try to see how bad of a shape someone's in? So with the you get a doctor to show up and, and like do an estimate. I mean, I don't know how this would work. With the unviage, uh, well, the way the French do it, there's 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 no physical or anything like that. You cannot, um, you know, it would be a violation of privacy to try to figure out how long this person is going to live. It's all chance, you know? I mean, you could get, like, a great deal in a house where the person can live to 110 and, like, you know, you still are sort of obligated to the contract. So do you have, like, younger people put on old people makeup and, like, act very frail and then sell their house to get an annuity or? Well, there's a little bit of a twist in the book. So, you know, maybe, like, you know, that would be, you know, playing with this kind of, you know, this this way of buying a house. This is a fascinating way to purchase a home. Yeah, right? Yeah. You know, that's what we thought. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's that's what the story's about is, you know, Americans living in this... um, in this uh, small town in the Languedoc region trying to, you know, kill an old lady. It's hilarious. It sounds, it sounds, it sounds, it sounds funny. It is very funny. Okay. Well, Desmond, Jen, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for imparting the wisdom upon the, upon the kids. Is there any advice you want to give them before you take off or anyone, anyone that's listening? I think that I realize a lot of these kids are heading into the workforce at a really different time than when I entered it. And especially coming out of the pandemic, just businesses are different and job opportunities are different. I think I would just say like persevere. It's a little bit of a different job market than I entered, you know, the workforce with and network, network, network. Use every opportunity you can to meet people who might be able to help you. Yeah, I mean, my best advice is just to graduate during the dot-com boom. But I mean, we all graduate and we all enter job markets at different times. So yeah. I think I think it's always a different time. But this one, yeah. this one feels more unique than others. But mm-hmm. maybe it maybe it is maybe it isn't. I think specialization is also sort of a helpful thing. Like if you are a That's candidate a for a job, it's good to have a specialization. You know, like I I you know I write you know I'm a, I'm a social media. Um, copywriter, you know, I am that, you know, I, I, I specialize in uh, direct marketing. Database marketing. Database marketing, yeah, yeah, or something like that. You know, having a specialization will help you sort of be more appealing or at least like just have something, you know, to sort of like lay out there on your LinkedIn page, you know, and, and become you know, sort of, uh, be more noticed. That's, 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 I think that's a good All right, well, thank you very much. Thank you. The Reflex Blue Show with Donovan Murray is hosted at 36point.com. Music by Dust Lab.